0: Good morning. Our second reading is from John chapter 1, verse 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Good morning, everyone. For the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at what is probably the greatest and most staggering Christian claim, that Jesus was God made man, what we also call the Incarnation. The claim is that at that first Christmas, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And each week in this series, we're going to be looking at a different part of the Bible. And we begin today with John chapter 1. And before we look at that, let me pray for us. Father God, help us now as we look at your Word Help us to understand it, help us to delight in it, help us to be shaped by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who is God? If we could pick just one passage from the Old Testament to answer that question, high up on the list would be Exodus chapter 34. Earlier in the book, God had revealed his name to Moses In the incident of the burning bush, you'll find that in Exodus chapter 3. And then later on, Moses asks God if he could see his glory. And God reveals himself to Moses by causing his glory to pass by him. And then we read these words in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Now, throughout the Old Testament, that verse is picked up and it's quoted again and again to answer that question, who is God? It's the part of the Bible, uh, one of the parts of the Bible, where God reveals himself to us, and we see how incredible... The one true and living God is. The very first two words that God uses to describe himself here are merciful and gracious. It's a great book uh, I've been reading. I know some of you have been reading as well. And if you haven't, you might want to get hold of a copy uh, by Dane Ortland uh, called Gentle and Lowly. And this is how he puts it. God does not reveal his glory as the Lord, the Lord, exacting and precise or the Lord, the Lord, tolerant and overlooking, or the Lord, the Lord, disappointed and frustrated. No, his highest priority and deepest delight and first reaction, his heart, is merciful and gracious. He gently accommodates himself to our terms rather than overwhelming us with his. That verse also talks about God being slow to anger. Here's Dane Ortlund. The Hebrew phrase is literally long of nostril. Picture here an angry bull pawing the ground, breathing loudly, nostrils flared. That would be, so to speak, short-nosed. But the Lord is long-nosed. He doesn't have his finger on the trigger. He, it takes much accumulated provoking to draw out his ire. Unlike us, who are often emotional dams ready to break, God can put up with a lot. That's not to say, of course, that God isn't angry, ever. In the Bible we read that God is provoked to anger by our sin. Dane Ortland continues. But not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation. His mercy is pent up, ready to gush forth. We tend to think divine anger is pent up, spring-loaded. Divine mercy, however, is slow to build. But it's just the opposite. God's mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. For fallen humans, like us, we learn in the New Testament that this is reversed. We are to provoke one another to love, according to Hebrews 10 verse 24. But Yahweh needs no provoking to love, only to anger. We, however, need no provoking to anger only to love. And that verse in Exodus goes on to say that God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Here's Dane Orland one last time. This is covenant language. There's a Hebrew word underlying the English phrase steadfast love. It's the word hesed. refers to God's special commitment to the people with whom he has gladly bound himself in an unbreakable covenant bond. The word faithfulness gets at that too. He will never throw his hands up in the air, despite all the reasons his people give him to do so. He refuses even to entertain the notion of forsaking us, who deserve to be, or of withdrawing his heart from us the way we do towards others who hurt us. He's not simply existing in large-hearted covenant commitment, but he's abounding in it. His determined commitment to us never runs dry. So that's what God is like. That's his glory. That's what makes God, God. We know that because that's how he revealed himself to Moses. But just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we struggle to believe that God is good as well as great. But he is. That is what God is like. And the great news of Christmas is that this same God, who never changes, came to live, to dwell with us. He came to reveal to us even more fully and finally exactly what God is like. What Moses was told, Jesus came to show. Moses wanted to see God's glory, but he couldn't. Now we see God's glory revealed and made known to us through Jesus. And that brings us, of course, to John chapter 1. Now John's gospel opens by introducing us to the word who is eternal, who created the world, and who is the source of all light and life. Here's John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word of God who we're soon to discover is none other than God the Son, became a real human baby and grew up as a humble Galilean carpenter. Ultimately, to die a gruesome death on a Roman cross in our place. He didn't stop being God, he didn't lose any aspects of being God. Rather, he took on being a man as well as being God. And so the one who made man was now learning what it felt like to be a man. Jesus came to reveal to us what God was like. John chapter 1 verse 14 and onwards. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we've seen his glory. Glory Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's sight. He has made him known. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Eight words that describe the most remarkable of events that took place on that first Christmas. And I guess if we'd been there, it would have seen a moment just like any other. But it was not an ordinary moment. Something spectacular was taking place. The Word, that is God, became a man. And he'd come to reveal to us what God was like. His words, his actions revealed to us the mind and the outlook and the ways and the plans and the purposes of God the Father. Not because he possessed knowledge of those things to pass on to us, but because he himself was God. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says this, If you'd known me, you'd have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Jesus didn't just come to reveal the father of course he was born to die he came in order to save us. We're going to come back to that aspect of the incarnation in a few weeks time. We're also going to think a bit more about what it means that he's full of grace and truth in the coming weeks but for today let's just dwell on the fact that Jesus is God that he came down to reveal to us what God is like. That's also what the the letter to Hebrews says to us. Hebrews one, verses one to three says this. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, such as Moses. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Is it possible to know God? Yes, but not by trying to work it out ourselves. We can know him only as he has revealed himself to us. That's because he's a personal being. Unless he tells us about himself, we cannot know him. And he's spoken to us most clearly, most finally, most perfectly through Jesus. God became a man and dwelt amongst us. Now, God is knowable through Jesus. Now, maybe that as you've heard me speak, you think this is completely bonkers. Can anyone really believe this? It's true that this is a staggering claim. And it's worth saying that if this is true, then it makes sense of pretty much everything else that the Bible contains. If Jesus is God, become man, then his miracles, the way his death pays for our forgiveness, his resurrection from the dead, and so on, are far less strange and hard to believe. So take time, read the rest of John's Gospel, listen to what Jesus said, watch what he did, investigate those claims for yourself. We've got a website called whyjesus.org.uk, and on that you can find information that will help you to do that. You can also contact us from there and ask for a free ebook version of a booklet called Christmas in Three Words. And there's details of a discussion group called Christianity Explore that we're putting on in the new year to look at what the Bible says about who Jesus is and why he came. So why not consider joining that? You can find out more and sign up on whyjesus.org.uk. But perhaps the, the significance of Christmas isn't new to you. There's just the danger, like every year I guess, that it gets forgotten or pushed to the side of all the busyness. This incredible truth should leave us hungry to know this God who has revealed himself in human flesh, in human history. So take time this Christmas to pause and to ponder and to marvel at the wonder of what happened that first Christmas. It's almost incomprehensible. But I pray that we would not just know the truth, but really grasp the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it. And that we would all be amazed in a fresh way at what God has done for us. But I want to end just by saying a few words about one of the key implications of this truth, and that is that it really does mean that Jesus is the only way to God, that Jesus is the complete and final revelation of God, that Jesus is unique, that Jesus is God's only Son, the only Saviour, not the highest among many, that Jesus is no mere man or prophet, but God's Son, the Word of God himself. John 1, chapter 4, verse 14 says, he's the only Son from the Father. And verse 17 says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We looked a little bit earlier at uh, John chapter 14, verse 7, where Jesus says, If you had known me, you'd have known my Father also. Well, just one verse earlier, Jesus said this I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John verse uh, chapter 14, verse 6. Now Jesus is not just God's agent within Christianity leaving God to be at work in other religions and faiths, as if all paths lead to the same God, because Jesus is God incarnate, then it also holds that he must be God's final and unique revelation and the only saviour of the world. Christians throughout the ages have stood firm on the uniqueness of Christ, despite the fact that it's made them unpopular and that they were persecuted and even at times, martyred for it. It's interesting that in many situations, such as uh, the early days of the church in the Roman Empire, for example, Christians were killed not for worshipping Christ, but for refusing to worship pagan gods. Those who were martyred were usually offered freedom in exchange for tossing some incense into an altar in worship of a, a pagan deity, but instead they preferred death This denial of Christ. And this is also the truth that has driven pioneer missionaries to move to different parts of the world in order to tell others the good news about Jesus. Many have been willing to give up even their lives for this, and some were called to do so. They would not have done that if they hadn't believed the truth that Jesus was God become man, the unique and final saviour of the world. Uh, I know this is such a challenge at a time when Western pluralism imposes on us a view that science and history are about facts and religion is about personal and cultural values. Of course, we rightly seek to treat those from different cultural groups without discrimination and we value tolerance and we want to be appreciative of different cultures. But the Bible's claim is that Jesus is unique and that He alone has shown us that Father has shown us that, that He alone can save us. And so, as we finish, may God grant us wisdom and boldness and joy to both believe and proclaim the good news that He has acted in love to save us and that He is the revelation of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your Son so that we could know you. Thank you that we can see even more clearly now that you are a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Open our eyes to believe and trust in Jesus that we may believe in him please will you help us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may experience the fullness of your grace and truth in jesus name we pray amen